The Truth News Network. Remember when Al Gore told us he took illegal campaign contributions from China and admitted he knew they were illegal, but that there was no enforcing authority, so he did it anyway? When the law is ignored because there is no force to stand in the way, you're not living in a republic. You're living in exactly the same country the fathers of this country escaped from. It's time to push back. And that starts with the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network and Dan Newman. Good morning to you and welcome to a brand new week. And let me just tell you how we're going to start this week at TNN Live. We're going to point out some unbelievable, damning hypocrisy. Got to be honest with you, just when you think it's as bad as it can get, it gets worse and worse and worse. Some of the other stuff you're going to hear about. You remember those great medical experts Dr. Deborah Burks, Dr. Anthony Fauci, every day in the White House COVID-19 briefings in the White House press room, those two controlled the narrative. They kept America and many people around the world spellbound about everything to do with COVID-19. They knew everything. Remember Dr. Anthony Fauci? You got to follow the science. You got to follow the science. Wear a mask? Oh, don't wear a mask. Those are just for show. They don't help anything. Then you got a double mask and then even triple mask. Dr. Burtz was back and forth. She said things one day. She contradicted herself the next day. Listen, folks, these are the two principal people that pushed the narrative, whatever it was of the day, throughout the pandemic. Americans made life-changing decisions because of this pair of medical sycophants. And here we are two, two and a half years from the beginning of the pandemic, and there's more crazy stuff going on out there about viruses. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. But let me, what, let me tell you what I'm into and what I'm thinking a lot about today, that I want to start right off the bat. Where does all of this stuff begin? Where does everything begin in the U.S. Congress? Well, let me help you figure it out. Where does everything begin and end in your house? We shape our lives around money. Now, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. But just for a second, let's just talk about this. We're not talking about the love of money right now. What we're doing is talking about you, every dollar it takes to run your home, to run your kids' food, groceries, gasoline, insurance bills, clothing. I mean, just one thing after another. And just because you want the money that is necessary to do these things, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. In fact, it means you're a good person. You're out there scrambling to do what parents do, what husbands and wives do to make their households run in a good way. Well, step in the United States Congress and especially step in the Democrats. Now, don't get me wrong. On the other side of the aisle, there are tons of people that are money hungry. There is no question about it. We've talked about that ad nauseum. 
But just look at where we find ourselves on July 25th, 2022. They're beating each other up in Congress over money. It's not about what's best for you and me, the dollars and cents. It's not about the baby formula scarcity that moms and dads hear months after it was all supposed to be resolved. Uncle Joe had it handled. You remember Jen Psaki said, we were working on this issue even before President Biden was inaugurated. That would have been January 20th of 2021. Do you believe what she said? No, there is no way. She said the same thing about the supply chain problems. But you know what this Democrat Party is so good at doing? They tell us things. We've got this. We're taking care of you. We're doing this. We're doing that. And it's all going to work out. We've got you right where you need to be. They tell us that. They tell us that again and again. Look back in Fauci and Burks. Same thing about COVID-19. And then there's never any substantive that enters into these conversations that back up these bold things that they tell us about. And even right now in legislation in the United States Congress, let's talk for just a few minutes about what I'm just mentioning to open the show about money. So the collapse of plans to include climate and tax legislation In a bill that Democrats can pass this summer through the Senate with 51 votes. So it's out there. Well, get it passed, right? Well, it set off a scramble among Democrats to squeeze other priorities into the package. This is how a money-hungry group of people operate. They have this thing, and they've got to get it taken care of. What's in this thing? Well, it comprises billions of dollars of stuff and the substance of it is most of it's pretty good for the American people but you know what looks like we can get this bill passed so let's do this before we get it to the floor to vote let's pack it with a bunch of crap that's what's going on right now Senate Health Education Labor and Pensions Committee Chairwoman Patty Murray she's a Democrat from Washington State Now, she says, she wants money for more COVID vaccines and for COVID therapies. And it's not that expensive. It's just another $10 billion. And then there's Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont. He's pushing for money to fund international COVID-19 vaccination efforts, which is projected to cost uh, half as much as fellow Dem Patty Murray wants. She wants $10 billion. Leahy only wants $5 billion. And then Senate Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders, an independent from Vermont that caucuses with Democrats, of course. He wants to expand the prescription drug reform language in this bill to cover more medications. Senate Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown, a Democrat of Ohio, He's still agitating for more money for affordable housing, something that is becoming a more urgent issue because of rising mortgage and rent costs. And then Senator Bob Casey, Democrat of Pennsylvania, who happens to be, by the way, a close Biden ally, is still pushing for tens of billions to fund long-term health care 
for the elderly and the disabled. I thought we had that. I thought we had that already in Social Security and Medicaid. What do I know? I'm not a member of Congress. These competing priorities will come crashing into each other over the next two weeks. It will be fisticuff. It'll come to blows and it'll get nasty as these Democrats make a final push to pass a budget reconciliation package and they want to get it done before they go start their trips around the world and those junkets that send them to lands unknown on lobbyist expense. This, they'll be off for the month of August. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He's intent on passing it early next month to help stave off raising health care premiums, which is projected to start happening in mid-August. So in reviving negotiations earlier this month, looked like this stuff was over. They see a glimmer of hope. They had hoped the reconciliation package would include climate and tax provisions. We're negotiating the components with, here he is, Mr. Villain, Democrat from West Virginia. Who is it? Senator Joe Manchin. But Manchin, Manchin scuttled their hopes and said he'd unequivocally support only a narrow package. Have you ever in your life heard of a Democrat in Congress that wants to control a spending bill and use it only for things that Americans really need. So Schumer and Manchin, they've agreed to move a slim-down package, you know, a skinny package that includes prescription drug reform, a two-year extension of Affordable Care Act premium subsidies. Now, it's going to be expensive, but you know what? In the big scheme of things, in the big scheme of government spending, this is just a jot and tittle. It means nothing. It's going to raise a net total of between 240 and 260 billion in spending. You got that? A quarter of a trillion. And I mean, we throw that T word, trillion, around Washington, D.C. Now, like everybody's got it couple of trillion in your pocket. The influx in this new revenue has Democrat senators lining up. Oh, we got to get this funded for my people. We need it. We've not been able to get it, but we can put that money in here and use it for my people. Patty Murray, that representative from Washington State, she said she would love to see COVID-19 aid in the package. We need to deal with COVID, she said, like we haven't been dealing with COVID for three years, Ms. Murray. She said, we're going to have a surge again, and we're not ready. We know those evil, wicked new variants are coming. We know that we're not prepared for them. We know that we don't have the vaccines. What the heck is she talking about? We're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on COVID vaccines, and not just for us here in America. We're doing it for nations around the world. And she says, we don't have the vaccines, the test, and everything else we need. We have to put the funding in, she added. Now, she's eager to get all this money in the reconciliation bill. Why? 
because Republicans say there's little chance of passing another COVID package under regular order. Even though Schumer and Mitt Romney negotiated a $10 billion compromise measure in March. Now, what is regular order? You, you hear that all the time. Let me tell you what regular order is real quickly. That's the process that is based upon the Senate and the House rules that have been around for generations. That's how legislation is handled in the Congress. Now, I'm not, I don't want to use the term dumb it down and to be offensive, but just to make it easy to understand. Here's how it works. Regular order says this. When a senator or a representative has a piece of legislation or proposed legislation that they want to put before their respective brothers and sisters in the House or the Senate, whichever one, to talk about. Well, that's a novel idea, but with 535 people in the United States Congress, can you imagine the chaos of trying to decide what should be discussed and debated and what shouldn't? Now, in regular order, basically, that's not an issue. The Speaker of the House, when proposed legislation comes that way, they look at the positives, the negatives, the necessities, the needs, or the lack of, and based upon knowledge that there's only so much time we have, we can debate these things, and we need to get the most important ones in. You would think that she, in this case, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, would find and put at the top the most important things. Well, that's how that process, regular order, is supposed to begin. Then what would happen if they were operating with regular order? Whoever the Speaker of the House is, whoever the majority leader in the Senate is, they would pick those most important pieces of proposed legislation, and then it would go like this. They would break them up, not literally break them up, but in every bill, most of them have importance and need to be considered by different committees in the House or the Senate, the ones that specialize in these various areas. So let's use the House as an example. Um, Somebody wants to talk about something to do with federal law, maybe changing something, maybe adding something, maybe doing some processes and wanting to deal with, you know, all the law-breaking that we have going on right now. So they want, to, they want to put that in there in something they propose to talk to. If Pelosi was sold on regular order, which she is not, and you'll hear why in a minute, she would then take that bill and she would send it to this committee, this committee, and this committee that would need to weigh in on all of the points of the proposed bill for them to consider. So in their committee hearings, they do just that. They'll call witnesses, they'll present evidence, they'll come up with ideas that they like, they'll throw some things out, they, they do what you do when you're discussing things with people and you want to reach a consensus at the end of it that everybody can agree on. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, in this environment in which we live, that's not the way that happens, We live in a world now where much of the legislation that comes before Congress never even gets to committee consideration, to be discussed and evidence presented, and both sides of good or bad are presented, and we the people can look in and see what's going on. 
Sometimes, Speaker of the House, Majority Leader, they just go down the row to all their members in their side of the House or the Senate, the party I'm talking about. And if they have the majority, sometimes they thumb their noses at the counterparts in the Republican Party. Or if it's reversed, Republicans thumb their noses at the Democrats. And they just push it through. There's no debate. There's no discussion. You remember that Obamacare bill, that famous boondoggle of a bill that has really, it's not just begun to destroy American health care. It's about to obliterate it. And we, the people, are going to suffer. But that's a story for another day. But you remember how exhaustive and huge that bill was? One would think that that bill had spent months in House and Senate committees being considered. Typically, let's just say the House takes it up first, like like it was with Obamacare. Well, they go to the committees and do all their stuff. They break it apart. They, They propose amendments in the various committees. They discuss the amendments. They vote on them. They either accept them or they don't. And when they all get their committee stuff finished and the revised bill is about ready to be considered, then it goes to the House, back to the Speaker, And she decides if it's going to get on the floor where the debate by everybody in the House of Representatives can begin. Same thing happens in the Senate. That's what's called regular order. And then, of course, when it gets to the full House or Senate, they again can present amendments to be considered. And then they have a vote on each bill. It purposely takes a long time. Why is that? Because it's important that the people that work for the citizens of the United States look at everything. Every dime that comes up there, you spend it wisely. You don't waste money on anything. You don't do bills that create things like that infamous bridge to nowhere. All the pork and the giving billions of taxpayer dollars away to people that you feel obligated to as a representative or a senator. So that's not what is happening now. And this bill this that's being considered that we're talking about, it's full of pork. And they're, what they're doing now is they're running along beside the bus and they're trying to throw more things in before it gets to the end of the bus line. You know what I'm talking about? Patty Murray, we know the new variants are coming. We know that we're not prepared. Why would a member of the House be talking to us about health care and health care important events? What makes Patty Murray think that she knows anything about COVID-19 and additional variants? So how do they do that? They just make Americans feel stupid. Quote, we know the new variants are coming. Who is we? It's the Democrats. And how the heck would they know that variants are coming? The political dynamics have changed. That's according to John Cornyn, who's a senator from Texas, a Republican, advisor to the Senate GOP leadership team. I don't think so, he said, when asked about the prospect of getting 60 votes for any new coronavirus relief bill. And then Manchin said 
He wants roughly half of that money raised from the reconciliation package to go toward, I'm going to whisper this because I don't want to blow your mind. Manchin wants half of it to go toward deficit reduction. Oh my gosh, you mean go back to that thing that we used to see happen every once in a while, maybe once every 10 years, where we spend only the money that comes in. We don't spend more than we have and create deficits. That's what he wants. <laughs> oh my gosh. That'll never happen. Bernie Sanders making a push to expand prescription drug reform to give Medicare more negotiating authority to lower cost of a broader range of drugs. Why? Why would Medicare have to wait for legislation to do just that? Wouldn't you think the people's representatives like Medicare? Just if you didn't know this, there's no building in Washington, D.C., that has up on the roof Medicare. It doesn't exist. Medicare is a process. It's not a department of the federal government. The CMS runs all of that. What's CMS? Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're the ones that take care of distributing all the money. Wait a minute. When I go see my doctor, I'm a Medicare recipient. When I go see my doctor, uh, they send the bill for the services they give to me to Medicare, don't they? No, they don't. What the CMS does is they contract with large insurance companies, healthcare insurance company around the nation to do two things, to process all the claims that come in from the healthcare providers across the U.S., to process those claims and roughly make sure that those healthcare providers are going by the rules and then they determine how much will be paid. Let me tell you how they determine that. There is what's called the fee schedule that sets the cost of every kind of healthcare procedure you could ever envision. Tens, hundreds of thousands of them. And each of those processes is given what's called an ICD-10 number, and it's unique to them. And what that means is, doesn't matter what a doctor charges for the services he gives to a Medicare patient, when he gets to the insurance company that is contracted to take care of Medicare billing, they just simply look, the insurance company does, at that ICD-10 which tells how much can be paid for that particular procedure. That's all that healthcare professional is going to get. Do you think that's just a simple process? Well, let me tell you this. I've got 32 years professionally dealing in this very issue. And I'm going to say something that may blow some of your minds. Every year in the United States of America... More than $1 trillion of your money, taxpayer money, is wasted because insurance companies don't process Medicare and Medicaid the right way based upon the coding. They just screw it up. Where does that money go? 
it, it's, a, it's a snail trail, folks. It goes into this love for money thing. So Bernie is after expansion of the prescription drug operation in Medicare. The pending compromise legislation would allow Medicare to negotiate lower prices for 10 drugs and later expand its authority to 20 drugs. It would also eventually cap out-of-pocket costs for consumers at two grand. Now, I'll just tell you this. You know, I mentioned that there are hundreds of thousands of ICD-10 numbers for everything that is used by a medical professional, and he sends bills to commercial insurance companies, private health care companies, not just Medicare. 10 drugs and 20 drugs? Right now, today, I don't know the absolute number, but I'll guarantee you Medicare is being billed for hundreds of thousands of drugs. And Bernie wants to put prices in there that he negotiates on 10 bills. Oh, but I'm going to later expand it to 20. Woo. The American people are really upset. We pay far, by far, the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. In some cases, 10 times more. Now, why is that? Most of the pharmacy drugs that are being used around the world, most of them, they're discovered by Big Pharma in the United States of America. Go through the process of laboratories, then clinical trials and testing, all, all kinds of things. And it takes a long time. And then the FDA has to finally approve it and authorize it to go in the marketplace. So how do these pharmacy companies, when they get these new dr- drugs out there that people want, how do they determine what the cost is going to be. Well, if you're in a regular business, here's what you do. You find out what your exact costs are for operating your business, and then you tag money on top of that. That That is, it includes a little slip that your profit, but the rest of it is you've got to assign your cost. Rent for your building, utilities, telephone, staff. But you don't price what you do Sometimes 10 times more, 20 times more, 30 times more in the United States of America than you do in Britain or in Southeast Asia or in Australia or even in Russia. But that's what's happening every day. The American people are getting gouged, literally gouged. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and certainly not a constitutional lawyer. I can't tell you what the process would look like. And even if the United States government can go after these American pharmaceutical companies and get them to bring those prices down. But I guarantee you, we have the leverage as the American people, we the people, to stop this gouging by pharma. Do you understand that not a single pharmacy company would be in business today if it wasn't for the insurance programs for the American people? Think about a private insurance company that sold policies and they had 300 million people that joined in that process for those policies. 
Oh my gosh, can you imagine what would happen? The prices of each of the products that are contained within that would plummet. Why? Because when you got a bunch of um, volume, the margin gets slimmer and slimmer because you don't need it as a company. Supply and demand, that's what's supposed to, in a capitalist society, determine pricing. But mysteriously, in big pharma, that's not the case. That's not the case. Well, what are they going to (laughs) do? Jim Kessler, who's executive vice president for policy at Third Way, which is called a centrist Democrat think tank, He said he and his allies are still holding out hope that something, anything can be done to address climate change. He said, I know there are conversations happening, but I don't know if there's any movement. For us, our priority, if there's going to be any extra spending in climate, 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 he added. If that's not going to be included, there are plenty of other pieces. I know there's housing. I know there's covid There could be other things. In other words, there's so much money in this bill, this reconciliation bill. Yeah, there's some important things in it, but we need to get some more in it. We need to stretch it, break it apart, take some money there and put over here for this cause and that cause. And you may think that that's something that is stupid. I agree with you it is. But let me tell you what I also know. It happens every day. And it happens, and you and I are paying every dime for it to happen. Thanks for joining us here today. We're always glad to start a week with you. It's kind of cool to look back at the weekend. And did you notice we didn't start the show today on Monday by looking back and hooping and hollering about all the deaths and shootings and all that kind of stuff around the nation? Well, guess what? It's not because it didn't happen through the weekend. It's because I didn't want to start the show with it. I don't know if you know this, but this is my show. And I'm not going to say something grandiose, braggadocious, nah. I'm going to tell you, I am glad we are able to bring you the information that we do bring you and will continue to bring you. You deserve it. And you deserve to know what's good and bad in all this stuff that's being shoved down our throats. That's what our commitment is here. And we're going to continue it today at TNN Live. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Yeah. Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? 
Our first real heart-to-heart. -heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN, truthnewsnet.org. You may have noticed in our intro we brought up the names, Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks, and I want to get to some of their stuff, specific things, in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to shift gears. I want to turn to something else. Have you heard the name or do you know the name if you have heard it? Clay Higgins. Clay Higgins in Congress. Now, he's only been in Congress a few years. Before that, I don't know what part of the country you live in. But he's from Louisiana. And he was a sheriff in South Louisiana in uh, a district, Opelousas, and uh, a bunch of small towns in South Louisiana. And he got a lot of fame nationally because he did some commercials and he did it when he put it together. It was like an open field and he was standing in the front holding an AR-15. You know, one of those evil assault rifles that we've got to stamp out. Well, first of all, they're not assault rifles, but that's a story for another day. But behind him were in a kind of a huge V shape sheriff type of vehicles that included the heavyweight stuff when they had to go, you know, do some big project, uh, armed trucks, you know, one of those kind of things where they, uh, they have to go, uh, protect a lot of people. Those things happen in even Opelousas in Ville Platte, Louisiana. But anyway, he spoke to the public and he had deputies standing behind him and he spoke to criminals and he told them, Hey guys, you need to understand this. Here in our parish, now in Louisiana we have parishes, not counties, but here in our parish, we're going to enforce the law, period. If you're thinking about coming here and wanting to get something going like burglaries or uh, snatching, breaking into stores, things like that, yeah, go ahead and do it. But you need to know before you come do it, you're going to pay a price. So the people of the 3rd Congressional District in Louisiana, they decided to send Clay Higgins to Congress. And so he ran for the House. And he won a seat in the House. And if you don't know anything about South Louisiana, you don't know anything about Cajuns, you may have heard Cajuns talked about. And they have a really good uh, dialect. And I, I say that because I am one. I'm from about 20 miles from where Clay Higgins was sheriff. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, wait a minute. You don't sound like a Cajun, Danny. Here's why. I got into radio when I was 16 
made it professional for me in the first uh, section of my professional life. And when I got into that, I worked for a couple of uh, bosses that wanted me to drop and get rid of the Cajun uh, slang. And so I did it. Now, I can break into it any time, and I do sometimes just to uh, get people to giggle, uh, giggle a little bit. But Clay Higgins, he's got it. And I'm going to play for you right now a small snippet that illustrates a lot of things, a whole lot of things, about what's probably the most evil thing happening in the United States of America today, certainly in our government. And what is that? The flood, the uncontrolled flood of illegal immigrants flooding across our southern border. I don't know if you know this, but there are federal immigration laws that were passed in Congress to stop that, signed into law by presidents in the past. There are tons of immigration laws on the books to control this thing. But there are two people in the United States of America that are driving this ship to let this criminality grow and take over the nation. Who are they? Joe Biden and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. In a hearing this week, last week actually, Mayorkas was confronted by Clay Higgins, that farmer sheriff from South Louisiana, you know the one that stood there in the TV ad with an AR-15? I want you to hear him talk to Mayorkas. Listen to his Cajun twang, but more importantly than that, listen to what he says and what he asks of Alejandro Mayorkas. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I appreciate the Secretary's appearance here today. Mr. Secretary, what year were you born, sir? 1959. 1959. I was born in 61. We're from the same generation. Have you experienced failures in your life, sir, significant enough to you as a man over your six decades of life, you have a compass can help you measure failure. You know what it is as a man. I certainly do. No shame there. I'm asking you. It's an honest question. Congressman, um, I'm 62 years old. Um, anyone who's lived for 62 years has confronted has experienced different, failure. different types of challenges, successes, and failures. Yes, sir. And there's no shame in that. That's part of our journey in life. We get knocked down and we do our best to stand back up. So I'm going to try and help put this in perspective for you, sir. I've had harsh words for you over the last couple of years. You know that. Oh, I've heard them. Yes, Congressman. Yes, sir. I hope you feel my spirit right now. I'm also a compassionate man. And I... I feel that America needs you to uh, needs you to own this thing, good sir. Do you recognize the following statement? You wrote it, or someone for you wrote it. Under the Biden-Harris administration, the Department of Homeland Security has been executing a comprehensive and deliberate strategy to secure our borders and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system. 
Since January 2021, DHS has effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Effectively managed. You used that verbiage earlier today. Again, I suppose that's the, that's the tested and determined talking point. So I ask you, good sir, tell America, you're a gentleman, 62 years of age, a gentleman of distinguished accomplishment, your secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Like all of us, you've experienced failure in the course of your life. You should have a compass to help you recognize it. This disaster we have at our border, the disintegration of our national sovereignty cannot be sustained Anyone that has two brain cells that could perhaps bump into each other would know that it's abject failure down there. So if you would identify our border as effectively managed right now, how would you identify failure? What would it be? Five million crossings in a year? At two and a half million last year? A million? Got away, you had 500,000 last year. Crime rate tripled instead of doubled. Number one cause of death from 18 to 45 year old Americans right now is overdose. Under your watch, what would it be? From five years old to 50? How would you identify failure if it's not what you've delivered thus far? By God, man. On the moment, you've been called upon to resign by myself and others. Next year, if we have the majority in this committee, which we shall, you're still in office, you'll face impeachment. I ask you as a man, own this thing. Out of respect for you and the office, I ask you to reflect upon that, and I'll give you my remaining 45 seconds to respond. Please feel my spirit and speak truthfully. Step away from your talking points and speak to the American people and own this thing. We're losing our country down there. We need you to resign. Save the country the pain of your impeachment. I have 20 seconds, sir. Please respond. Congressman, I couldn't disagree with you more when you state that, when you state that our nation's sovereignty is disintegrating. <clears throat> well, I guess Gentlemen's, that answers that. I yield, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, you heard Mayorkas's answer to that. Let me just say, you heard a very logical and completely explained request come from Representative Clay Higgins. And even with all of those facts that were thrown into that explanation, four minutes of Clay Higgins, and he was pointing out specific things that are happening simply because Mayorkas is not only allowing them to happen at our southern border, he's encouraging them to happen and continue. He himself is an immigrant, and he, like many Democrats, want the borders thrown open. And for anybody that wants to, come to the United States. It makes absolutely no sense. Clay Higgins, a gentleman, 
I love the way he talked to Secretary Mayorkas. He didn't demean him in any way, but he confronted him with facts and asked for an explanation. Let me just say this. You can find evil and evil people anywhere if you just look hard enough. And in the government, we usually stand up at the top of the government and we just, with a broad brush, say the government, the United States government, is evil. Well, it's not all evil. And it's not just some evil Republicans and some evil Democrats. It's become more than a thread, but a rushing river that is flowing through not just Congress, but the entire bureaucracy of our federal government. And people like Alejandro Mayorkas are being birthed into that political sphere almost daily. And they're adopting that same kind of philosophy as Mayorkas. And what is that philosophy, Dan? If we think it, it's true. If we portray something to be factual, it's factual. We're more important, we're more enlightened than you are. And if you disagree with us, you're a homophobe, a xenophobe, you go through all of the degrading titles that they give people. And none of them, none of them they pass out have to have any substantive proof. They just, it's, it's like we used to do as kids. When you got into a tit-for-tat with people in your neighborhood in the middle of summer, and you would start insulting each other, two of you. And it's almost like uh, an automatic thing it ended up every time with, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? Maybe it doesn't happen on the House or the Senate floor like that, but that's exactly what we the people, the ones that are spending sending it to Washington, D.C. every year, trillions of dollars for them to take care of us. And i got to be honest with you, when it all boils down and they start breaking apart these pieces of legislation and they start debating them what they want to do about this, well, there's something else over here I think we need to add in place of this one clause in this piece of this bill, this legislation. And almost always, it's for somebody in their district, somebody that needs some government assistance, or just give us a leg up. Or maybe one of those things in a state where this, this big industry that wants to come look at their town or city, a big city or a little t- a town in their state, and build the plant. Oh my gosh, we know what that's going to do. It's going to bring bazillions of dollars in taxpayer funds through the years. It's going to mean 100 million new jobs. And I'm exaggerating. But they always put it out that way in in a measure to try to codify what they're doing with what they're doing really is nothing but manipulating the system for benefit of people that they are obligated to or that they owe something to or something that they know will help them personally. Hmm. You ever thought about it that way? 
I think you just heard a great example of it. We have got to stop the government top-down way of doing things in this nation and put it back in the hands of our forefathers who created our government from the very beginning to be solely this, government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. It in no part is any one of those things. And anybody in Washington that disagrees with me that wants to come on this show and debate it, come on. Let's talk about it. Let's don't get emotional. Let's talk about facts. You bring yours, I'll bring mine, and we'll let the listeners at TNN Live decide the truth of whatever matter it is that you want to bring over here. Let's just step forward. We're moving along today in the show. I mentioned at the top, Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. All those days when Dr. Deborah Burks stood up there and she was considered to be the calm doctor at the top of the COVID-19 craziness. She was calm. Fauci was out there and, you know, Anthony Fauci, he's a little guy. And I don't want to demean any little guy. There are a lot of them. Uh, my son's 6'9". I'm not that tall. I'm 6'1". We have a bunch of tall people in our family. My wife's tall. Her dad was 6'3". I've got two uncles that were 6'9". But that doesn't mean if you're tall or big or you have a big voice that you're better than anybody else. It also doesn't mean you're worse than anybody else. There are people, a lot of people, especially among men, and it's called the Napoleonic Syndrome. You remember Napoleon would always have his hand inside his vest. In all the pictures, that's what you see. Well, he was a little guy, a little bitty guy. And he felt like he had to make everybody around him think and feel like he was bigger than he really was. And so the way he did that, and it didn't make anybody else feel better about him, what it did was made him feel better about him. Like he was smaller, but he had more power than they had. So he was better than they were. Fauci, in all of those White House press briefings, he portrayed himself as the expert. It began and it stopped right there at Anthony Fauci. He knew more about anything and everything to do with infectious diseases, particularly COVID-19, than anybody else breathing. And so he made us start there. And Dr. Burks, she's on the same platform. She was considered to be the kind expert up there. And you remember at the beginning of all this, they were praying, oh God, give us vaccines. We've got to get vaccines. And they told us as soon as we get vaccines, every American that gets a vaccine is going to live and won't get infected with COVID-19. And we'll be able to help people around the world by providing these vaccines for them. We're the United States of America. We're the CDC. We know everything. Guess what Dr. Burks is saying now, looking back over her shoulder? Let me just quote to you what she said over the weekend. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines. 
And it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization. The Moderna and the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines were granted, just so you'll remember when, they got their emergency use authorization at the end of 2020. And it was always to be for preventing symptomatic COVID-19. And they were promoted by pretty much everybody that was a healthcare official in the United States, including, of course, Anthony Fauci and Dr. Burks. This is one of the most highly effective vaccines we have in our infectious disease arsenal. And so that's why I'm very enthusiastic about the vaccine. She said that on an ABC show at the end of 2020. She made no mention of concerns of the vaccines that they might not protect against infection. Well, data shows the vaccines did prevent infection from early strains of the virus, but that the protection waned over time. Now, they told us in the beginning, oh, we wouldn't need any boosters. You get one shot, you're good. You're done. And then when they, before you and I heard, they heard, hey, we're having some breakthrough infections here. They began to coordinate what their talking points were to make it seem like, oh, we knew all along these were going to wane over time and that we were going to have to get boosted. The vaccines have proven increasingly, almost every day, unable to shield even shortly after administration and that they provide little protection against the Omicron virus variant and its subvariants. Now, wait a minute. They told us there would be some variants, not at the beginning, but when we got into it, I mean, they talked us, many of us, millions of us, to go ahead and take the vaccine, and then we start getting these buts and there have been a bunch of them. So Burks is saying now, so that's why I'm saying, even if you're vaccinated and boosted, if you're unvaccinated right now, the key, here it is, I've had this in my back pocket for two years, but now I'm going to enlighten you. You need to take Paxlovid. Now what's this new panacea for COVID-19? It's a pill. And it's produced by da 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 Pfizer Corporation. That's who we have paid hundreds of billions of dollars to. Pfizer for those lifelong COVID-19 preventive of any infection. And now they're selling us Paxlovid. It's not been just a winner and its clinical trials and studies. But it's recommended by U.S. health authorities for both unvaxxed and vaxxed COVID-19 patients to prevent progression to severe disease. You see the transition that's happening here? Here's this sweet Dr. Deborah Burks who was on the forefront. She was on the surfboard on the top of the wave all the way out front. She made us feel warm and fuzzy about getting vaccinated. And now, well, it didn't really work, but there's something else now. There are signs the protection from vaccines against severe illness is also dropping quickly as these new strains show up. 
That protection was just 51% against emergency department urgent care visits. And then it dropped to 12% after just five months. Against hospitalization, protection went from 57% to 24%. A booster increased protection, but the shielding quickly dropped to substandard levels. So what about Fauci boy? He, of course, was up there from the beginning. What was true two years ago, a year and a half ago, changes, he said, because the original ancestral strain did not at all have the transmission capability that we're dealing with with the Omicron sublineages, particularly BA5. So, here I am. I'm Dr. Fauci. I am, to quote him, I am science. So, because it's me, the vaccine does protect some people, not 95% from getting infected, from getting symptoms, and getting severe disease. Oh, it does a much better job at protecting a high percentage of people from progressing from severe disease. You notice in all of these disclaimers we're getting like that, they're not giving us a definition of what severe COVID-19 is. Fauci said that vaccines with updated compilations, which are expected to debut in the fall, are necessary. I'm going to do for those like I do when I find out there's a new series of Apple iPhones coming out. I can't wait for the big debut. I'm breathlessly waiting for all of these new updated compilations. We need vaccines that are better, he said, that are better because of the breadth and the durability, because we know that immunity wanes over several months. And that's the reason why we have these boosters. But also, we need vaccines that protect against infection. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes when I hear these so-called experts get up and pontificate before a TV camera, I automatically look at him, especially Fauci, and I question. I know he's not telling me the whole truth. What percentage of what he's saying to me is really factual and what's not? And so how do you go about picking which one you want to believe because it's true, which one you just you just think because it's Dr. Fauci, that means he's going to push the truth at best and lie out his butt for worse. Here's where I am on both of those, Burks and Fauci. I want them gone. I want them out of the public purview. They have hurt tens of millions of Americans and helped kill hundreds of thousands. We got to get right with all of this. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news, TNN. The Truth News Network. 
Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. tell you this one thing, this other Fauciism that just popped up over the weekend. Dr. Fauci says he still believes the coronavirus originated in nature, but he acknowledged he is keeping an open mind. We have an open mind, but it looks very much like this was a natural occurrence, but you keep an open mind, he said. Fox News special reporter Brett Baer pressed Fauci on emails that showed Fauci had previously dismissed the lab leak theory as a shiny object that will go away when discussing the origin with top scientists. But I know you're a good person, Fauci said. I've known you a long time. If you take a group of emails where people are considering and thinking out and you stop there and don't look at the weeks of careful examination by those same people that wrote the emails... And then you say, now that we've looked at it, in the published peer review literature, they explain very clearly why they think it's a natural occurrence. That whole one, two, three sentences is a hodgepodge of gobbledygook. Did you get it? Brett, he's talking to Brett Bear. I know you're a good person. I've known you a long time. If you take a group of emails where people are considering and thinking out and you stop there and don't look at the weeks of careful examination by those same people that wrote the emails, you know, those experts. And then you say, now that we've looked at it in the published peer review literature, have you ever read anything in a published peer review Well, now that we've looked at it in the published peer review literature, they, who are they? The experts explain very clearly why they think it's a natural occurrence. Fauci added in the interview that more people saying that the virus originated in a lab doesn't mean there's more evidence of it. Look, I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana that lives in Northwest Louisiana now. I'm not a doctor, don't have a medical degree. I've got 32 years in the healthcare industry. So I see a lot, but I don't know anything to the amount of knowledge that Anthony Fauci has about all this stuff. But you know what? If you see something and it quacks and it waddles, 
It's almost always a duck. And this thing, week after week, month after month, story after story, data after data, point to the fact that China wasn't just involved in this. They weaponized the research that we helped pay for through Dr. Fauci's uh, grant money out of the National Institutes of Health. That's been proven. And, of course, he gets into it with congressman from Kentucky in the Senate about the uh, enhancement of these viruses in these labs. And Fauci denies it totally, and it's been proven again and again and again. Why would they want to do that? Why would they want them, if they first found the origin, the origin of COVID-19, why would they need to enhance it? And you know what their only explanation is? Well, we know it's going to get worse in nature. So what we've got to find out is how bad it can be through natural transitions getting stronger and stronger and these variants so we can prepare for them. Republican Senator Rand Paul, that's who gets in Fauci's face all the time. He said this week that if his party takes control of Congress in November, Fauci's going to be forced to testify under oath about the origins of the virus and that weaponization, that gain-of-function research that Fauci was reportedly conducting at the Wuhan lab. I do fully believe this virus, this pandemic that killed 6 million people around the world, leaked from the lab. Rand Paul, who's a doctor, he said that. But I think there was a concerted effort by him and his colleagues to cover this up. Make sure it didn't come to light that the NIH was funding that lab and that there was reasonable scientific evidence that suggested it came from the lab. So he's going to be made to testify under oath. And I hope he sticks around because we do have some questions. That's enough for Fauci. Well, roll your sleeves up, folks. Get ready. You better start packing to move away from you are now because there's a new villain in town. The WHO, the World Health Organization, has declared monkeypox is a global health emergency. So what's their basis for this? Well, in their release where they announced it, they cited an what they called extraordinary situation. The monkeypox outbreak has now spread to more than 70 countries, prompting the Director General Tedros of the World Health Organization to make the call despite a lack of consensus among experts serving on the UN Health Agency's emergency committee. This is the first time that Tedros has ever taken such action. We have an outbreak that has spread around the world rapidly through new modes of transmission about which we understand too little and which meets the criteria and the international health regulations, he stated. I know this hasn't been an easier, straightforward process, and that there are divergent views among members of the committees. Dedros found the committee did not reach a consensus despite having a very open, very useful, very considered debate of the issues, and that since he's not going against the committee, what he's recognizing is that there are deep complexities in this issue. 
there are uncertainties on all sides, and he's reflecting that uncertainty and his determination of the event to be a global emergency. Now, let me, let's turn around. Let's back into this thing. What have we said all along? And I beat this drum, and I know you're tired of hearing it. Follow the money. Back into this international health emergency. Monkeypox. Back into it. Do you know any of the stats on monkeypox? 16,000 cases reported in 74 countries since May. 7 billion people breathe air on earth. 16,000 cases of monkeypox. And it's a worldwide health emergency. Watch for the money. Now, where's the money going to come from? A rush to come up with a vaccination for it, treatments, scaring everybody to death, locking us down again. Now, let me tell you something, just a little bit about monkeypox. It's, it's, it's seldom fatal. It is transmissible. It exhibits kind of like as um, skin issues, sores breaking up and opening up, and you do get, you get sick. In other words, you'll get headache, you'll get some fever or whatever. And I'm not trying to minimize it being a tough virus. It is a virus. But it's in the same category of viruses that smallpox, cowpox, horsepox. And of course now there is monkeypox. And I'll say this one last thing and we'll move on. Most of the people that get monkeypox have direct contact to others within the homosexual communities, uh, communities around the world. And I'm not saying that causes monkeypox or anything like that. I'm just saying. When you look for facts, when you look for answers, you want to get the It's mandatory that you look at everything and you come up with the facts by sometimes eliminating other possibilities to find out what really is going on. That's science. And what the WHO is doing in this case specifically is not science, period. I mean, that's the way it is. So you heard from Clay Higgins and Alejandro Mayorkas. There's a couple of other guys. We're going to do a little tag team in the House of Representatives. Two of my favorite people. Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio and, of course, from right here, not just in my state or in my congressional district, in my own town, and a good friend to this show and a good friend to me, Congressman Jim Johnson. And they tag team some of this insanity going on the ridiculous things. And it's not just a little bit here and a little bit there. It's in everything. The stuff that the Democrats are doing, things they are trying to do, and especially things that they are saying. Listen to the tag team from this pair. Mr. Speaker, the Speaker of the House just said, Republican, quote, Republicans knew Defensive Marriage Act was unconstitutional when they passed it. Did the 118 Democrats who voted for that legislation know the same thing? Did the President of the United States, President Clinton, when he signed it into law, did he know it was unconstitutional? 
I mean, I've heard some ridiculous things said on the House floor in my time here in, in the United States Congress, but that one, that one was right up there. Uh, I would yield um, two minutes to my good friend from... I thank the gentleman from Ohio. We've just been treated to a master class of misinformation. The speaker also just said, she just said, can you believe they're going after contraception? Give me a break. She knows that's not true. There's not a single Republican even talking about that or any of these other categories of the law. This is designed to divide the country. This bill is a shameful effort at that. Mr. Nadler, when we were uh, talking about our, our, uh, our concerns about the care pregnancy centers being under assault, it, to make his case uh, that pro-lifers are violent, he referenced uh, the, the terrible murder of Mr. Uh, Slepian, an abortion provider, in 1998. That was a quarter century ago. We're talking about the last 11 weeks. We've had 50 care pregnancy centers vandalized, attacked, Molotov cocktails, spray-painted, threats being made to Supreme Court justices. There, there's no equivocation here at all. Mr. Cohen implied that uh, the conservative justices misled the Senate in their confirmation hearings. Look, we've got the receipts on that. It's demonstrably untrue. Justice Samuel Alito, who wrote the majority opinion in Dobbs, said that during the 2006, his 2006 confirmation hearing that Roe was, quote, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973, so it's been on the books for a long time, but he declined to call the ruling settled law. Justice Thomas, in 1991, in his hearings, he declined to comment on his views on Roe at all. He said, quote, I do not think that at this time I could maintain my impartiality as a member of the judiciary and comment on that specific case. Justice Gorsuch, 2017 confirmation hearings. He said Roe was, quote, a precedent of the Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 92 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the court, worthy of as treatment of a precedent like any other. However, he refused to signal how he would rule in future cases on abortion. Justice Kavanaugh, 2018 confirmation hearings, echoed Gorsuch by saying that Roe was an important precedent, but he indicated during his confirmation that he would be open to overturning settled law, including Roe, citing a long list of past Supreme Court justices. Justice Barrett, uh, just uh, reserved, she was much more reserved on the Roe precedent. Another minute. Uh, in her confirmation hearings in 2020, she said this, she said she was committed to obeying, quote, all the rules of stare decisis, promising that, quote, if a question comes up before me about whether Casey or any other case should be overruled, that I will follow the law of stare decisis, applying it as a court is articulating it, applying all the factors, reliance, workability, being undermined by the later facts and law, just as all the standards. I promise to do that for any other issue that comes up. She said, uh, that, that she had to remain neutral on it as an umpire, as they all did. Look, the, the, the record is clear. The quotes are there. Anybody can Google this. What they're presenting here on this floor is not true. It is demonstrably untrue, and they're doing it for partisan purposes. Every time they talk, they reaffirm our position on that. I thank the gentleman for yielding. My gosh, you two guys, y'all just need to sit down. You've got your hair on fire. Needlessly, there's nothing new in what you're seeing happen in Congress. That's the way it's been all along. Facts don't matter. The truth doesn't matter. What somebody really said, what somebody really did, it doesn't matter. All that matters is how you put them, any people that are out there, you put them in the setting within the political narrative that you want to paint for your followers 
Democrats across the nation. And to do that, in every case now, we don't just hear them blurt out some untruths. They use those untruths to attack anybody and everybody with whom they disagree and who disagree with them. That's what we have in Washington, D.C. today. And it's embarrassing to me that we are dealing with this kind of insanity. Finding the truth now has never been this difficult because anytime anybody says anything and even gives you a convincing narrative that makes you think, scratch your head, man, maybe she's telling me the truth. Maybe that is a fact. That's happening every day, and it happens so often that they've normalized it, and it's gotten to the point where a lot of people are just tired and saying, you know what, I'm tired of going down this rabbit trail every day 20, 30 times. I'm just going to believe what they tell me. Now, thank God the majority of people in America aren't that way yet, and we don't want them to get that way, but you get beat with that every day, over and over and over and over. And finally, you just get tired. Yeah, all these people in Washington, D.C., they work full-time for us. We pay them all, the elected ones and the bureaucrats that Joe Biden hires. We pay them. We don't have any say-so in it, but we pay them. Of course, they'll quickly tell you, oh, yeah, you've got say-so in it. You elected us. You wanted us to go up there and do these things for you. So sit down and shut up and let us do it. That sounds a little bit over the top, but that's exactly when you cut right down to the bone. Exactly what's going on. Let me give you some outside of the government explanation of this. This week, an undamed mother wrote an article in the Metro newspaper about her allegedly gender non-conforming four-year-old daughter and how her nursery school failed to respect her supposed transgender identity. Four years old. Four years old. So in response to the article, the leftist LGBTQ plus Stonewall, Stonewall, who's Stonewall? That's a an organization, a far-left state-funded organization that they say children as young as two can be trans and gender identity should be taught in nursery schools. So Stonewall replied to this saying, research suggests that children as young as two recognize their trans identity. Yet many nurseries and schools teach a binary understanding of pre-assigned gender. Did you get the first part of that? The first two words. Research suggests. Now, here are the, the beginnings of sentences when Democrats across the board find themselves getting into some kind of debate that they always throw in there. Research suggests. Experts say It's been proven conclusively that multiple sources have confirmed that is a process that they have perfected on the left. 
And it makes anybody that hears them say these things just automatically just take it and make it normal. Well, if research suggests, if experts say, it must be true. Well, contrary to the claims from Stonewell, studies have found that most kids who display trans tendencies grow out of the fa- that phase as they get older. It's just a phase. A 2021 study from the University of Toronto of gender dysphoric boys, for example, found that only 17 of the 139 participants stayed in their transgender expression as they got older, as opposed to 122 or 88% who reverted back to their traditional biological gender norms. Some governmental organizations have distanced themselves from Stonewall over its radical positions on transgenderism, Former Minister for Women and Equalities in Canada turned Prime Ministerial hopeful Liz Truss has called for all departments to follow suit in Canada. The charity still receives the backing of the Foreign Office, the Equalities Office, and both the Scottish and Welsh regional devolved governments. The charity is also coming to criticism from Simon Fanshock one of the six founders of that group in 1989, who said earlier this year that its stance on transgenderism is threatening to undermine the gains made for all gay people. Stonewall's reputation discredited and its credibility squandered by trans activists, not all trans people, I hasten to add, who believe they can dictate what everyone is allowed to say and think. Nevertheless, Stonewall continues to push with their considerable power within the UK, particularly in medicine. Here's an example. In June, a whistleblower from the National Health Services, that's like CMS over here, revealed that contracts granted to medical suppliers, some worth millions, are being awarded based on whether the firms conform to Stonewall's transgender ideology. The outcome of this is the NHS might accept a tender from a company offering an inferior product or a higher price based on their membership in Stonewall. This is from the whistleblower. To put it another way, the NHS is willing to compromise on patient care to promote Stonewall. Stonewall's also been at the forefront of the movement to remove so-called gendered language, just remove it outright calling on educators last year to stop using the words boys and girls. Well, how do you replace that when you're talking about boys and girls? Well, they want to change it in favor of the dystopian alternative called learners. Do you follow that reasoning? Despite being led by the so-called conservative party, the British government handed out over 1.25 million pounds, British pounds, in grants to Stonewall between 2020 and 2021 alone. Again, this is the UK. The UK, Canada, England, all the other countries in the UK. That's happening there. Maybe it's not happening, or maybe we don't know and haven't been told how rampant that might be in the United States. But even if it 
isn't yet, it's coming to that. We're going to have and we'll be coddling two years older, three years old kids that come in from playing, coming from nursery school, and telling mom, mom, I know I've been wearing dresses, but I don't feel like I'm a girl. I think I'm a boy. Can you imagine a two, three, four-year-old going there? They are saying, Stonewall is saying, that's actually happening and it's actually real. Before we go to our next break, you're going to love this one. Are you tired of hearing the railing on Capitol Hill about assault weapons, assault weapons? We've got to get rid of these assault weapons. The legislation that's up there, and they want to do it with that, it's H.R. 1808. It's sponsored by Representative David Cicilline, Democrat of Rhode Island. There have been a lot of news agencies that have stepped up and said, Americans, you need to understand that H.R. 1808 bill bans the manufacture and sell of at least 45 specific AR-15 rifles, including Bushmaster ACR, Bushmaster Carbon 15, Bushmaster MOE Series, Bushmaster XM-15, Chiapa Firearms M4 rifles, Colt Match Target rifles, Core Rifle Systems, Core 15 rifles, Daniel Defense M4A1 rifles, Devil Dog Arms 15 Series rifles. In addition, listen, it bans the manufacture and the sale of all AR pistols. And 13 are specifically listed. American Spirit AR-15 Pistol, Bushmaster Carbon 15, Chiapi Firearms M4, Core Rifle Systems Core 15 Roscoe Pistol, Daniel Defense MK-18, Double Store Corporation AR, DPMS AR-15, Jesse James Nomad AR-15, Olympic Arms AR, and the list goes on and on and on. All of this is in the language in this bill. That's at the house. But the language of H.R. 1808 also makes clear the legislation bans numerous semi-automatic pistols as well. Here you go. The ban applies to semi-automatic pistols with detachable magazines and threaded barrels. Now, because of the popularity of suppressors for hearing protection, nearly Every semi-automatic pistol manufacturer makes pistol models with threaded barrels. This means an untold number of semi-automatic pistols would be banned by H.R. 1808. Now let me tell you the importance to me of that, this whole article. It comes down to that. I own a multitude of semi-automatic pistols, Glocks. uh, I've got two or three others I'm not going to mention but a bunch of different ones. I don't have a single gun, and I all I bought them all new. None of them have threaded barrels. But see, because Democrats put this in the legislation, automatically that means, and they've been talking, oh my gosh, for decades, how evil are suppressors. When you see these suppressors screwed into the end of a gun, that can only be used for criminal acts. They want the gun not to be heard when they shoot it. Surreptitiously, they can go on and keep shooting and killing people. 
It's not about anything factual. It's not. It's not about things that you or I should be concerned about. Yeah, there are a lot of guns in the United States of America. And yeah, there are a lot of shootings. But there are more people killed with hammers every year than are killed with semi-automatic weapons. Have you heard a single legislature even mention that? Why don't they talk about that? Because it doesn't fit into that little box, that political narrative that they can use to weaponize. What does fit into their box? Guns. Specifically, these evil guns with ribbed barrels so that they can screw in those evil suppressors. And by the way, the story said the reason most suppressors are liked is because they diminish the sound of the gun when people are target shooting. But that's a factual thing. That doesn't have any, any place in this conversation. We got to get rid of those guns. Screw the Second Amendment. It's no longer valid. How do we know that? On what authority do we say it? Because we have the majority in the House, and we have the White House, and we have, with Kamala Harris, with her vote, we have the majority in the Senate. That means the people want everything we say we need to have in America. We should get it just because we're the ones in charge. Mr. Speaker, the Speaker of the year. House just said Republican, quote, Republican. Alexa, for help. Alexa, what time is it? When they pass Like the spacious the 118 Democrats who For the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I got something extra special that uh, I want us to talk about before we move on. There's something up with this transgender ideology thing. And you knew it wouldn't be long before some women would come up and finally say, hey, enough's enough. Enough's enough. The Women's Bill of Rights introduced to counter-transgender ideology 
Carrie Sheffield, who's a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, said that her organization has had to introduce a Women's Bill of Rights, which defines what a woman is. And remember, our most recent Supreme Court justice in her confirmation hearing, she said when she was asked to define in her hearing to determine if she was going to become the next U.S. Supreme Court justice, she couldn't define it. Well, it's not because she couldn't, it's because she wouldn't. Gender ideology is just one strand of a much bigger radical Marxist agenda. And that is critical theory, she said. So you've got critical race theory, critical gender theory, and critical class theory. That's a bigger assault on freedom. Carrie Sheffield said that July 15th during Freedom Fest 2022. Critical theory. It originated in Germany at the Frankfurt School. And it was specifically to indoctrinate and to basically destroy Western civilization. The Women's Bill of Rights was necessary. Why? Because basic scientific truths are under attack. Pointing to when the recently appointed Supreme Court judge, Katanji Brown-Jackson, wouldn't define the word woman. I'm not a biologist, if you didn't see that part of her confirmation hearing. That was her reason for not being able to say what is a woman. I wonder, I just wonder, with all of this stuff going around that's been going around, but it's heating up every day about transgenderism, about uh, biological uh, identification of sex and all of that's out there, I wonder if she thinks if there's going to be any legislation that comes to the Supreme Court that pertains to the necessity for her to weigh in on what is a woman. Jackson said, I knew it was a hornet's net, no matter what she said, that it would be just torn to shreds. So she played it very cautiously. And I think that's unfortunate because it just showed how the left has cowed anyone from being able to just speak the most basic common sense. Sheffield said the polling is overwhelmingly in our favor that people say we reject allowing biological men to compete in biological female sports. You know, I'm not going to argue these points anymore. That just doesn't make sense to me. How the heck can a guy take some uh, hormones, maybe get some surgery done, let his hair grow long, uh, grow long shave his uh, his neck down just to look like a woman and say, I'm a woman because of that. There's only one thing that determines our biological sex. It's our chromosomes. It's within our, our fiber in our bodies, the cells in our bodies. And you can't change those with hormones. You can't change those with surgery. And you can't change those with your opinion. No matter how hard you try, and just because it fits a political philosophy and narrative that's really good for you to use right now in weaponizing your cause to go after those evil conservatives on the other side. You know, those authoritarians. And I'm sick of that word being used. You remember every other day during the four years of Donald Trump, 
he was accused of a, being a, a, either a dictator wannabe or an authoritarian. He was 180 degrees away from that. You cannot point to one thing that happened in the Trump administration and somehow tie it to Donald Trump being an authoritarian. But let me tell you where you don't where you can look. You don't need to look far to find a lot of that going on right now in our nation. Joe Biden, just saying. This sex stuff and all this biological and healthcare and physiology stuff is just driving me crazy. Have you heard the latest on the Supreme Court abortion overturn of Roe v. Ward, uh, Roe v. Wade? Now Democrats are coming up with all kinds of ways to get around the ruling of the Supreme Court. They're inserting the right to chemical abortions into some pending legislation that claims to protect contraceptives in the latest push to codify abortion across the country after the Roe v. Wade opinion. Contraception? I've not heard a single person in government even come up and offer some kind of legislation or even talk about it to do away with contraceptives. It's just this, folks. It's simple. The left want to weaponize everything and use it as a bullet. That's it. Although Planned Parenthood is not specifically named in the bill, it's clear surgical abortion centers would be included in the funding. Emergency contraception includes abortifacients, which can prevent a fertilized egg from implanting in the uterine wall. So here's one little part of the Senate's Right to Contraceptive Act. Quote, The term contraception means an action taken to prevent pregnancy, including the use of contraceptives or fertility awareness-based methods, and sterilization procedures. The term contraceptive means any drug, device, or biological product intended for use in the prevention of pregnancy, whether specifically intended to prevent pregnancy or for other health needs, that is legally marketed under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, such as oral contraceptives, long-acting reversible contraceptives, emergency contraceptives, internal and external condoms, injectables, vaginal barrier methods, transdermal patches and vaginal rings, or other contraceptives. I just can't fathom these idiots that work for the people of the nation would spend all of this time coming up with the language that I just shared one paragraph with you. The Supreme Court made it very clear. Roe v. Wade in its original order did not codify women's right to abortion. It didn't. It was manipulated back in 1973, and it was couched under this little thing about codifying that a woman has sole right of her health care needs and desires. And somehow they converted, the Supreme Court converted that into mean abortion's okay if a woman wants it. 
And now they're doing everything that they can, frantically running around with their hair on fire, trying to come up with something. We've got to stop this ban on abortion. It's evil. We can't let this happen in the United States of America. By the way, we're in charge, and if we don't want it, that falls right under the that big pile of stuff that if we don't want it, it's evil, and we're going to fight tooth and nail to keep it from happening. That's what drives the boat on the left. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Honestly, that is what they run with and what they base everything on. One of the most contentious things about Congress and even state houses around the nation is how the campaign structure has been just obliterated in its original form. And it's become little more than a way to raise hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, even billions of dollars, to support candidates that run with a political perspective and promise this and promise that, that fits a niche of people that are like thinking so that they can just force everybody that's in those regions that are voters, in those states that are voters, in those districts, And, of course, in the general election stuff where we're talking about the president of the United States, everybody can weigh in. And it's become he who raises the most money in campaign dollars is the one that's going to win. But there are some members of Congress that still keep beating that drum of this isn't right. This is not what the American people want. I quote Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said at the end of his presidency, if he couldn't go to heaven without being a member of a political party, he wouldn't go to heaven. That's a pretty strong statement from a former president of the United States. And they expected and they predicted, our forefathers did, that if campaigning and political parties got any stronger, much stronger than they were back in the late 1700s, the American people would be in trouble. And we're in trouble now. Ted Cruz, in a hearing in the Senate, had some salient things to say on Friday. Every year in Congress, I've introduced legislation called the Super PAC Elimination Act. It would do two very simple things. It would, number one, allow unlimited individual contributions to campaigns, not corporations, not unions, individuals. And number two, it would require immediate 24-hour disclosure of any contributions. It doesn't ban super PACs, but as a practical matter, they would fade away because every candidate would rather control their own message rather than some other group. And yet, I've yet to get a Democrat willing to support it. I want to ask, I, I apologize, one question if I could ask Mr. Weiner. The Brennan Center supports transparency and disclosure. Over the, over the existence of the Brennan Center, how much money has been given to the Brennan Center, specifically by George Soros? Senator, I don't know how much money specifically, but I will say that... Will you answer it if what I ask you in writing? Senator will be happy to respond, but I just want to and, say and I will happily acknowledge that Open Society Foundation is a Brennan Center donor, and we are proud that they have donated to but us. But will, will you answer the question or give me a lawyerly dodge? Because we, we both know how to do both of those. Senator, we'll be happy to respond to a request. Thank you. 
What's that all about? What was that about? George Soros. Everybody knows that Soros gives tens of millions of dollars away. He does it through his uh, not-for-profit groups that, uh, by the way, are illegal. What do you mean, Dan? Well, there's a prohibition by the IRS for any not-for-profit organization. You can't give money away for political purposes, but they find ways to do it and get away with it, and I wonder how that happens. Soros is so powerful in the nation, he didn't even try to hide it. I mean, when our district attorney here in northwest Louisiana ran for office a couple of years ago, I mean, a little guy in a little bitty part of the country, Shreveport, Louisiana, he ran for district attorney, and he got a quarter of a million dollars donation from George Soros to help in his campaign. Why would Soros do that? Well, in part, you can see what's happened in the aftermath of the last couple of elections around the nation. All these district attorneys, they're anti-cops. They're anti-law enforcement. And the American people are waking up and realizing that lawlessness is taking over the nation, and it's because of people being able to give millions and millions of dollars in campaign money to get people to think one way or another and legitimize criminality in this case. That's one of the most evil things that I've seen in my lifetime. But it's happening across this nation. And the only entity in the country that can do anything about it is the United States Congress along with the help of the Department of Justice. Merrick Garland, our Attorney General, if he was going to play through and follow through with his commitment from his oath of office that he would protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and protect America. He's fallen completely off the blogosphere because he's not doing anything like that. He has normalized going after people for benign things like parents who go to school board meetings to express their opinions about the things that their kids are hearing in classrooms. And he notified law enforcement people around the nation and the FBI to start watching these parents that are acting in part like domestic terrorists. And yet the attorney, district attorney in California, he puts murderers on the street. He lets people commit violent crimes and walk with no bail. The DA in New York City is in Manhattan is doing the same thing. In fact, there's a strong push on for Governor Hoschel up there to fire him. It's that way in Philadelphia, that way in St. Louis, that way in San Francisco. That district attorney just got removed in a recall election. So the American people are beginning to speak. But meantime, look who's getting bombarded with all of this criminality. The people of those districts and the people in those states. Have you heard the latest from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi? Oh my gosh. I I hate to even bring up Nancy Pelosi. Because it's hard for me to talk about her with any kind of respect 
which I'm supposed to do because she is a leader over me. And I do pray for our leaders in our nation because I want them all to be successful for the nation, not for themselves. But this one kind of shocks me. Joe Biden is getting a bunch of backlash from within the government after he cited the view of his military advisors that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's reported visit to the nation of Taiwan was not a good idea. Despite the Chinese communists sending out more threats against Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, experts believe she is more likely to go than back down. The Financial Times, that's a big, big newspaper in Europe and the UK, they reported three days ago Pelosi would lead a delegation to visit Taiwan next month, which would be the first trip by a Speaker of the House of Representatives to Taiwan in 25 years. Now, what's this all about? Well, this report sparked a strong reaction from Beijing. Chinese Foreign Minister spokesman Zhao Lijian saying that a visit by Pelosi would seriously violate Beijing's One China Principle which differs from the United States' one-China policy, and send a seriously wrong signal to Taiwan independence forces. Zhou also said that her visit would severely undermine China's sovereignty and its territorial integrity, and will have a severe negative impact on Sino-U.S. relations. He noted that China would take resolute and strong measures against us, The former editor-in-chief of the media mouthpiece of China's mainland's communist regime, Global Times, suggested that Chinese authorities should send a special fighter jet or two to accompany Pelosi when she flies into Taiwan to show the sovereignty of mainland China over Taiwan. Now, the Chinese government, the communists in mainland China, They've claimed sovereignty over the self-ruled liberal democratic island of Taiwan, which it has never governed. It's never been part of China, Taiwan has it. It used to be Formosa. The Chinese regime has recently increased its threat of unifying Taiwan with military force. So Pelosi responded to Biden at her weekly press briefing on Thursday. And she said, I think what the president is saying is that maybe the military was afraid our plane would get shot down or something like that by the Chinese. I don't know exactly. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. You're telling me, and I've heard it anecdotally, but I haven't seen or heard from the president. And she wouldn't discuss the travel plans further for security reasons. I get that. But she added this, it's important for us to show support for Taiwan. None of us have ever said we're for independence when it comes to Taiwan. That's up to Taiwan to decide. So regarding Biden's comments, Mark Esper, remember him, former defense secretary under Donald Trump, who was visiting Taiwan. He told reporters in Taipei on the same day Nancy Pelosi had that conversation in her press conference. I don't think we should allow China to dictate the travel schedules of American officials. Let's be honest. In this government, Joe Biden, in this government, the Biden administration, isn't it odd that every five minutes some new thing, 
some new allegation, some new conversation about working with China comes up again and again and again. Right now, we're looking at having, from the Donald Trump administration, sanctions against China. And those sanctions have evened the playing field between American companies in certain areas against the Chinese companies. That's what sanctions have always been for. And they work in large part in most places. Why would any president, why would Joe Biden even consider going backwards to a place where we had manufacturing companies, sales and marketing companies that went out of business because the Chinese were stealing the business because of the way they operate their businesses in China. They make products for way less. How do they do that? How do they compete that way? Well, they don't pay their people any money. I mean, they've got kids over there that are making tennis shoes for 70 cents a day. Think about that. Child labor. And this administration is benignly, in most cases, in most decisions that are made, just doing their thing and letting China do theirs. It's disgusting. So now that we're talking about Nancy Pelosi and we're talking about business, what about the 900-pound gorilla in the room with Pelosi's name coming up? What about that? I'm talking about insider trading. Well, here's Stuart Varney. I like Stu. He's a Brit. I like his accent, but he is always on point. And I don't care what anybody says. No member of Congress should be able to trade stocks while they serve in Congress. Why? Because they almost all are in positions to use information that they get from being members of Congress to either determine what they should buy before the American public know about it or what they should dump before the American public know about that. Open-ended question. (laughs) Should members of Congress trade stocks of companies they regulate? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, and I've said this before, any elected official, anybody in the current administration should be banned from even having a personal account, the member plus immediate family members. So quite honestly, whatever, I don't believe a word that Nancy Pelosi says about her husband not buying or buying or never reacting to anything that's going on in her world. I think it's baloney, and I think the majority of the country is on my side on that argument. And I believe the majority of the country is on his side for saying that. But the sad thing about it is, is who determines if they can or if they can't? And I'm pretty sure you know the answer to that. And the answer would be, they do. (laughs) They determine it. And finally today on the show, I want to blow your mind. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is giving money to the Chinese government amid the regime's bid to tempt foreign scientists to leave their home countries and go to China. Bill Gates Foundation issued a $100,000 grant in June to the Foreign Talent Research Center of China's Ministry of Science and Technology. What's it for? 
It's to help, we're told anyway, to help the Chinese regime organize a forum hosted by Zhang Gukun, China's state-sponsored Silicon Valley, on pandemic preparedness and response. The forum has featured top leaders of the regime as speakers including, in its 2021 event, regime leader Xi Jinping. So while the 2022 forum will feature discussions and topics like a global health and supporting pandemic-impacted disadvantaged populations, the agency affiliated with the communist regime that's sponsoring the event oversees the hiring of foreign talents in science and engineering for China's strategic goals like military-civil integration. And Bill Gates and Melinda Gates donated money to that, meaning Chinese are going to reach out to some Americans and try to talk them, the scientists, in jumping ship, leaving that evil United States of America and take their technology and all their ideas and their brilliant scientific findings, take it to China. Hey, thanks for starting the week with us. Thanks for being here every day at TNN Live, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. You have a great Monday. Beat the heat some way. Boy, we're all getting toasted. We'll see you tomorrow right here at 9 a.m. Yeah.